Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie. I'm here with my two good friends, Rahul and Alex, but today we're joined by a very special guest, the rules expert for the CBS European football coverage and former FIFA referee. Welcome to the show, Christina Uncle. Ah, thanks for having me, guys. This is exciting. It's absolutely an honor for us to have you on here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, anything you feel like sharing with us today. Yeah, um, try not to bore anybody uh, too, too much. But uh, just long story short, at least what's relevant for this portion of the world, um, I, as you mentioned, past FIFA referee, uh, representing the United States for seven years on awesome. the international panel, which was pretty, uh, it was a big honor for me to be able to do that. Um, but I had been refereeing international soccer. The women's side's a little bit different than the men's side, although it's changing quite a bit for over 10 years and um, started officiating when I was 10 years old. Um, wow. Yeah, which a lot of people probably, if you read a little bit, it's because I was yelling at the referees, go figure. <laughs> um, my coach was a ref. He made me take the ref course when I was 10, uh, or he told me I couldn't keep yelling at the refs unless I took the course because I didn't make any sense. I wasn't I wasn't yelling at them properly. I didn't know the laws of the game. So he said, either shut up or go take the class. So I wanted to keep yelling. So I took the class. And uh, from there, it's been history. It's been kind of part of my life. I played football up to university um, at Division Two, And, uh, you know, they didn't have women's professional soccer when I finished playing collegiate ball. So I said, hey, you know, I'm not going to go anywhere playing women's professional soccer because it doesn't exist. But let me go referee the U.S. Women's National Team. So from then, it's been a little bit of a story, real big part of my life and, you know, kind of my longest career, I guess, for 24 years. Yeah, 24 well, years. That's an exciting journey. And I appreciate your passion for yelling at referees. So we here too also like to yell at referees every now and then. But <laughs> the fact that you went out and studied so you know how to yell at referees appropriately, I think we'll take a page from your rule book there. Um, I'll pass it over to Rahul here. He's got some questions to just clear the air really quickly. We'll start there. Yeah, yeah, so Christina, thanks for joining us. Um, this started, I guess our interaction started a couple of days ago. Uh, and it all, all started when I tagged you in an Instagram story where you were explaining the elephant in the room that's here, which is the Marcus Alonso goal that was called off in the Real Madrid-Chelsea Champions League game. Uh, a lot of our followers, a lot of our friends that support Chelsea um, would like to understand why that goal was called off. Uh, and, you know, the ruling that basically states uh, why that goal was called out. So I'll hand it over to you and then we'll we'll come back. Uh, we'll come back with some more questions to follow up. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I guess one thing that, you know, kind of turned my head, because as you guys can imagine, social media world, like you can't respond slash look at listen to everything. Uh, but the one thing that caught my attention was you guys were actually Chelsea supporters and you guys are actual <laughs> Chelsea fans and you guys are like, no, this was correct. And I was like, holy smokes, like what? It's like, you know, because everyone who was coming at me were Chelsea fans saying, that's not right. That's not correct. I'm like, eh, like, you know, this isn't even a question of interpretation. Like, you know, is it not a subjective, like, you know, should that be yellow? Should that be red? Do we have force? Right. Do we have speed? Do we have intensity? I was like, 
this is just black or white. It's almost like offside, right? right? To a certain extent. So that's what kind of caught my attention when you guys posted that. And I was like, oh, all right, look at them looking <laughs> at it like at a very uh, neutral, as neutral of a view as possibly can be with still being a fan. So, so I get that. And I appreciate that. And, you know, I, and that was kind of one of the things that really surprised me, honestly, like as soon as the play happened, I looked up, I mean, I'm reviewing the game. I'm reviewing the other game that was going simultaneously in Champions League because I get to comment on both. Right. Um, and I'm sitting there like, okay, cool. No problem. Moving on. Right. And I think that's kind of one thing I've learned in this role is what is very obvious or very simple for us as referees, particularly even at the higher level. Um, although that should be a rule that every referee from grassroots up knows it, it, it surprised me. And I, I, those things always kind of, you know, excite me where I'm like, Oh, Holy smokes, the rest of the football world, either doesn't understand it or does and doesn't still like it. And those are the things that kind of catch my attention, right? Because so, you know, many of you guys already know because your heart's broken um, is, although nobody seems from Chelsea side seems to want to talk about the incorrect corner kick, but that's a different story. Um, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Over there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was like, you know, this beautiful game giveth and it taketh away. Yep. So like, uh, however you want to chum it up, I call it the soccer, soccer gods, right? right. Uh, they somehow even things up somehow, but you know, the Alonzo, it hit his hands right there. If you do a still shot, it's very hard to see. If you do kind of that, you know, um, there's one angle that's really demonstrative that really reflects and shows that there is actual contact and inflection. So I've seen people, you know, um, you know, generating different, different videos that are at the best angles. And I'm like, oh, can someone just show that one that we did on Paramount Plus? Right. Where literally, or it was HQ and I even circled it and it was, it was, it was great. So kudos to that. I still got to figure out who the producer who was that, who clipped that properly. But, you know, it, it's very clear. And as a VAR in the booth, you'll see that it's very clear that there was actual contact. And the this is one of those, you know, um, nuances in the law where when we talk about handling, 95% of the time when we talk about handling, we're talking about whether it's a deliberate handling or not, right? And so that's where the interpretation of outside the silhouette have you made yourself bigger, right? Um, time, distance, all of that good stuff. You know, where this one is just the reverse opposite. It's an accidental accidental handling offense. If this is 2019, this would have been a good goal. One plus we didn't have VAR back then, except for the Women's World Cup. And that was a bit of a hot mess in the beginning. So we would not have had a handling offense. This would have been a good goal. And that kind of blows people's minds saying, well, why are we punishing this? And just to kind of retract a little bit in history, it's not too, too far and not to dork out too much on you guys. But in 2020, based upon feedback, when IFAB changes the laws, they change it through um, a lot of uh, feedback. Um, trust me, I went to an event in uh, Nanjing, China, and the first four floors of that Hilton Hotel, which was a beautiful Hilton Hotel, the entire first floor was FIFA staff, technical staff, um, those who basically go and clock every single corner kick, every single throw in, every single handling offense, every single name it, right? Every single goal punt, like how, how much time is wasted? How many times Atletico delays the time? And then I was complaining, <laughs> about it, but that's a different story. Um, but all that being said, like from a lot of that data and trial and feedback, and it's not only a year, but it's usually two, three years before they change a the law, you know, they got feedback from the football world saying, we don't like goals that come from anything that touches the hand and that's where in 2020 and like we're obviously not on those committees or there's task force or subcommittees but that's where that law came from and in 2020 it was even one step stronger where it's not just the person who directly scores or immediately scores from a handling any or uh, not any touching of the hand 
or we would call accidental, or at least in the football world, referee world, we call it an attacker handball. It was also a teammate. So I know we got some mm. wonky decisions in Premier League where right. in the buildup of the play and what we call the APP or the attacking phase of play, which is where the VAR can review, you would have an accidental handling by an attacker, same thing. It jumps up, it hits their body, and then it hits their hand, which is accidental. And then it goes to a player who then puts the ball back in the net three passes later. And then we would call that off. And that was a travesty. So in 2021, they said, you know what? That's too harsh. The pendulum went too far. Let's just make it only when an attacker scores a goal directly or immediately after that handling offense and that person alone. And that's how we get to this law, which then (laughs) is how we get to Alonzo's accidental handling that's taken away because it actually did touch his hand. So I really know how much more to put. (laughs) No, that, that, that's great background. It's great. Um, It breaks my heart a little bit even more because now that I know in 2019, we would be in the semifinals, not going home, Uh, but to, to get the history of it and to get the understanding of it is critical because like you said, we were heartbroken in the moment, in the moment when the goal was called off. I think all three of us, even though we weren't watching it together, were saying a lot of things about the referee and the VAR decision. <laughs> uh, but to take your, to take the time and actually hear you explain it on, on Paramount Plus, which is when uh, we interacted, I think helps us understand why it was taken off. And now that it's come back a little bit closer to the original decision, like you said, the pendulum swung back a little bit. Do we think it's going to go back again to what it was two, three years ago? So it's interesting you say that. It's not up for discussion in IFAB. IFAB um, hasn't brought that up as a point that it would change here. Um, Typically, they have their meetings in March and it got delayed. So that's not going to be something that changes for the 2021-2022 season. However, um, you know, me digging back in and really dorking out about it and going back and because every time they change the law, they have clarifications and explanations as to why they do it. And there's only like people like me and my friend Mark Geiger and a couple of other and Joe Fletcher that really like get into the detail. And we're like, oh, this is so cool. Um, I am a dork. Um, But, uh, you know, one of the things I was going back and forth with Ben Jacobs from CBS, uh, whatever social media manager guys, and him and I were just going back in text because he's like, I know it's the law, but it feels unfair. And I'm like, it is. And then how do we, we're like, we're not in IFAB. And I, I do truly mean that. If I could ever get on IFAB, that's great. But you have to be from one of the British football uh, countries, which is kind of interesting that there's only like really four people and they're yeah, all from the UK who create yeah. the law. And I'm like, wait, and then you have one FIFA representative who represents the rest of the country, the rest of the world. The world, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. When I first learned that a couple of years ago, that pretty much blew my mind. But I actually, and funny enough, I'm writing an article for it for CBS, but you know, I actually would propose, and we couldn't do that back in 2019 arguably in 2020, right? Or 2019, we couldn't do that because we didn't have VAR, um, really. Um, 2020, right? We didn't know about it. Now that we're in 2021, I would love and I would propose that because now that we have VAR would be if, because in this context, right? We have the Alonzo one. I don't know if you guys saw the Serie A one on Rabiot when Pellegrini took the shot and literally Rabio like tucks in, it makes himself really tight. And it hits like the like top part of his shoulder and goes directly into the net. And that we had to take back too. And everyone, and I thought that was more of a travesty than Alonzo's. And it doesn't feel right or feel fair. Because you take a look at the scenario as referees, as, as people who love the game, as people who understand the game and say, that's not the outcome we want. So I would say now with VAR, 
the fact that the referee now has the opportunity to see that because these plays are bang bang right? right like the alonzo one there's a reason why simon didn't call it and i get it you one either he didn't see it which easily can be explained that's a very very tight two maybe he saw it, it didn't take a great deflection or it didn't really alter its you know move, moment very quick yeah. that you'd be like I think that happened, but it kind of blinked. Like we don't guess on those. So, but now with VAR, you can now have the referee go and take a look and say, Hey, potential attacker handball, you know, um, directly in it. And the VAR can flag that as one of the four, you know, now we can expand it to another situation, right. To go take a look at that for the referee to understand the knows the context because he, he or she is right there, but at the same time to make sure there is not a secondary action. Right. So if my hand's here and it hits me, it is right. It's where we have this little nice little nudge to bring it down, right? This little <laughs> secondary action. The referee can now be able to appreciate that with video. So I think we might be able to bring back this attacker handling back to being subjective in the opinion of the referee. But then again, we're only talking about those leagues and those competitions that have VAR. Right. And we're not talking about 75% of the rest of, or 90, 80%. I don't know what number you want to put the majority of the games that don't have VAR. So that's kind of where I think we can have a little loophole to take these back. So we don't have as harsh of a decisions as we've had over the past week, but you know, everything you kind of find out through trial and error when you create law is one way. Yeah. It just, it just happens to be at our, our expense this time around. <laughs> uh, but just, I know you brought up VR and I know Jackie wants to talk about that, but just to clear it up. So in case, in this case, if Alonzo passes it to someone else and they had scored that goal would have stood. Okay. The only thing the VAR would have then be looking at is whether or not Alonzo deliberately um, handled the ball. It. Okay. Mm -hmm. And because he had tucked it in so tight, you know, everyone's like, oh, it did touch his hand and he moved a little. I'm like, that's because we, we zoomed in and we yeah, slowed it we down. We slowed it down. Yeah. And that's where people get lost sometimes is they zoom in and they slow it down. Like I know we had the challenge yesterday. Uh, was it yesterday or no? Yeah. Yesterday with Atletico. Right. And everyone's like, that was a PK. And I'm like, well, the guy touched it like, oh, there's content. I'm like, come on, like put it in real play. It, we, it was more of a dive than anything. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'll hand it back to Jackie because I know he wants to talk about his favorite subject, which is VAR. <laughs> before, before I dive into VAR, I just want to say the way you explained that is actually brought a lot of clarity behind not only the rule, but it kind of opens up my eyes as to what goes into making the rules. And I think it gives me a deeper appreciation for how it comes about that. I think as a fan sitting at home, it's easy to scream at the television and say that's a bad call or X, Y, Z, but just understanding the thought process and the people and the work that goes into that, it actually opens my eyes a lot. So I appreciate that. Um, I'll jump into VAR. You, you mentioned a few things about VAR. I, I want to share my personal thoughts about yeah. VAR really quickly. And then I, I would like to get your personal thoughts on VAR. Um, it's, it's taken a, a bit of time and it's now coming to the system. And I, I understand the reason why it's there. There are a couple of things that I've noticed they're very slow to make decisions. I think it kind of drags out sometimes. When you look at the traditional way of refereeing, we would get decisions within a split second and then the game would carry on. Now, I understand it's sometimes big games and things like that. It can be nerve-wracking, but that was kind of what built a little bit of the passion into the game because you had somebody on the field controlling these two sides saying, this is how it goes, this is the way it goes. And so when it goes out and it goes for review for, I think one game you we were watching with Chelsea was about three or four minutes before they came back with a review. And that was, 
it, it causes some concern to me because now I think they're going to hairline decisions uh, offsides. I think there was an issue uh, a few games ago, and I, I know you don't watch every Chelsea game, but it was we're splitting toenails at this point, and that's what we can see as fans at home. And, and the last thing I think, at least in my opinion, is there seems to be some inconsistencies. Uh, when you watch specific games, one game, a person will be called offside. In another game, and I'm not saying referees bias based on the team, but based on the play, that person is now onside. And so that's kind of where my frustrations lie. I just want to get your personal thoughts on VAR as a whole, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, I'm going to start on the top saying I appreciate the fact that you guys use the word VAR because that's how it's properly said. <laughs> and anytime someone says VAR, I die inside or get another great piece of hair. And a lot of my commentator friends sometimes say VAR, even after I told them that's not how to say it. And I swear, I'm gonna, this is all going to be white by the time I'm done commentating. But so I appreciate that fact. Um, but secondly, you're, you're kind of like me where, I mean, I was trained in VAR um, back in 2017 with MLS. We were the first professional league to have it. Uh, right. I always say, cause we were the test, the test too, but <laughs> they don't like to say, it. they just say we're the first. I was like, we were the test babies guys. Like, let's just be honest. Um, yep. Premier league is not going to try it out until they see how it works. Um, it, which funny enough, we're actually doing really good on it in MLS, but that's because we didn't pay the millions of dollars for the VAR lines for offside. So that's actually a fun fact as well. Um, but, and that kind of might go to the year point where you're romantic at heart. And so am I in the football game in the sense of meaning, you know, there's a reason we all love this game, right? You know, we all will walk off and talk to, uh, I'm going to use, I'm just going to be a general and stereotype, our fellow Americans, okay? And they're all going to be like, that game was incredible. We had a zero, zero game. It was amazing. It was passionate. It was back and forth. And the only thing they hear is zero, zero. Like, how is that even a good game? Like, because all of our American sports, football, basketball, right? All of those are baseball. All of those are high scoring. Like they don't are, at least our American culture doesn't understand how a zero zero could be a beautiful game. And that's because we understand the nuances and the, you know, what it takes for a team and tactical and back and forth and, you know, shots on goal and the deflections and the appreciation, but also because in our game, there's, there's, you know, there's times where we, as referees, like your first 15 minutes is where you establish yourself, right? Yep. The last five, 10 minutes before halftime is you want to go out with a good momentum, good energy, right? As much as possible. First five, again, you tend the players go in and challenge and just try to, t- and you know, like the last 15 minutes is always like, it's like basketball. I only watch <laughs> the last minute of the game, right? It's like, it's chaos. Yep. Like basketball, I'm like, I'll watch the last minute. That's when all the fun stuff happens anyways. And everyone misses their free throws, but um, like we love the game because it ebbs and it flows and it goes up yep. and it goes down and it's a storyline and there's a, a villain and there's a hero. And obviously if you're in Chelsea, everyone else is the villain, including the referee, if not more so, right. That when we have that call go against us, that's just not right. Even, even if it's, you feel like it's not right, or if it truly isn't right, but then you overcome that and you actually do win, like you feel 10 times bigger, a million yeah. bucks. And that's where I say you're a romantic at heart in football, and so am I. And so when we had the introduction of VAR and how technical it was and how, you know, we are, you know, turning this into a computer, into a robot, into officiating. And, you know, for me, refereeing is an art. It's not a science. You can't explain some of the things. Like I had a question the other day and I should have explained it this way. I'm like, it's it's like fate. You can't explain it. It just just is. It's football knowledge. That's what football understanding is like our version of fate in the football world. Like you can't fully put words to it, no matter, even though I'm paid to put words to it, I try. Like it just, you just know it deep down when you're, when you're part of the game. So when we introduced VAR, I was like, I don't like this. I mean, it is the way we're going. And as a referee, 
you know, there's been plenty of laws that have come through that I'm like, I wholeheartedly disagree with, but I have to apply it because that's what IFAB has. FIFA adopted it. And in order for me to continue to officiate and officiate at a high level and not let the quote unquote game pass me by, I have to accept that that's the application. So even though I was against VAR initially, I had to learn it. I'm like, okay, whatever. This is where we're going. It's modern day game, modern day player, modern day referee. Let's move forward. But now I'm actually a fan of VAR and it's Hmm. more for so the fact that we as referees are the only people in that game that can change a game critical decision or what we call KMI, a key match incident that affects the outcome of that match. And so now in our modern day, where even before technology wasn't allowed on the sidelines, coaches weren't allowed to have technology. Mm-hmm. They didn't have ear pods in, right? They didn't have anyone communicating from them. That was actually uh, restricted, even though it was really hard to, you know, really monitor and tell them no, even though you knew like coach, you know, from Canada always had it. And I've always had to believe like Herman didn't have it and be like, okay, I didn't see that. <laughs> right. Like, you know, it, I would be like, that's for the safety of the players. Right. Um, you know, it, 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 Everyone has it. Everyone sees that you made a decision wrong. And if you're the only one who can't, you're the only one who could change it. Why not provide that for us? So yeah. obviously the introduction of VAR is a little rough and we all knew it as us in the referee world. We're like, we're not going to get this correct. Like at the highest level, it's not going to happen overnight. That's just the reality. We're going to figure out what works. What doesn't work. We're going to try to modify. We're going to keep the protocol of how we use VAR very, very tight and then figure out where we can loosen up a little bit on it. Um, and so there are some areas of improvement still, I mean, it's still in its infancy compared to when everything else has existed. It's only been around for five years, like four years, really on the international stage. So, you know, I, I, am with you on that. And the times that it takes the longest, think about when it takes the longest. Right. And that's where I kind of, I, I challenge you the times that it takes the two or three minutes, is it typically in an offsite scenario where it's super, super tight? And do we have two or three other, you know, situations that led up to that offside? So for example, when you're in the VAR booth, we say, you know, you have to, you have to clean the APP, AKA you have to check everything from the attacking phase of play, which is really the first, you know, or the real, the, the, the last time we go in to say it's appropriate for the ball to be moving forward into the attack where the football world would accept the fact that we'll reverse it, right? We're not going back five minutes. And we say, clear the APP, meaning, we're looking at every potential situation. So sometimes there are complicated scenarios where possible handling, possible foul, uh, possible red card, possible offside, ball in the back of the net. You're like, oh shoot, right? (laughs) You hit the little red button, I promise you it's red. It looks like the easy button, but it's not. As soon as you hit it, like, you know that you have your entire crew down there like saying, sweet Lord, hurry up, right? You as a VAR, like assistant VAR, go check offside, go, you know, you actually are the one with that until, and I actually do okay. like semi-automatic offside, they have to set the line. So while they're setting the line and talking to the video operator there, you know, sometimes you say, okay, will uh, possible handling negate the offside so we don't have to worry about checking offside, right? You have to take it, hey, semi camera angle one behind the goal, semi, you know, high line, make sure, look at this, look at this, look at this. Okay, 100% confident because when you're in that booth, there's no excuse for getting it wrong literally no excuse like everyone's like we paid millions of dollars for you to have 16 camera angles yep that's you what miss, it comes down to you only have four quads in your screen you only have four screens so we call it a quad and you can make it to two or one or whatever and then your video operator next to you has all other 16 camera angles and you know really especially we work with hawkeye 
their camera operators or video operators are very, very good. They know the game as well too, but they also can make mistakes. But I mean, they hang out with us enough that they kind of become like sir referees, like little like sir. But like, if for example, we miss a camera angle that was in the upper right-hand side and usually we kind of know, you know, hey, this reverse camera angle will be great behind the camera angle would really give us a better look. But if we miss one camera angle and we check in, we're like, no, we're good. Go to the next one, go to the next one. And that first scenario, we missed that camera angle that would have negated everything else behind it. Like we're done, we're crucified, we're dead. Right. So even though there's no actual time requirement, trust me, once you hit that red button, it's green. There's a little tickler on the bottom and it's okay. green. And then it hits like 15 seconds and it turns yellow. And then it hits 20 seconds and it turns red. And it literally feels like you're about to blow up. Like you're like in a movie <laughs> and you're like racing against time and you have to get it before it hits red. But like, we literally have to go through some of those segments. So there are some times, like even me, sometimes I'll be watching a game. And I'm like, dude, like, what, what are we what are we doing? I was like, I was like, it's, it's right there. Like, like we're good. Like it should have been like 30 seconds. Um, and that's just a training thing, right? The more yep. VAR is being introduced, Fair enough, the more yeah. leagues are doing it. Yeah. It's going to take some more time, but just ask yourself when those scenarios happen, because there might be three things they're checking. I have to come off from the passionate moment that just occurred and then ask myself those questions. Cause that's where it gets <laughs> difficult to make those decisions, but no, you, you did a great job answering it. And, I, and again, like I said earlier, I appreciate you going behind the scenes. So we understand what you guys go through and that little tickler timer, you said it, it's, I can understand where there's pressure now to try and make a decision with these additional camera angles, but also watch the timeline. So maybe we'll cut some slack in the future for some of the referees, but <laughs> I'll pass it over to Alex. We have a lot of fan questions that have come in and I think Alex will, will ask you some of the questions that have come in through our Instagram page. So Alex, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah. So I guess to start off, this one has pretty much been touched on. Rico Otway asked, how can VAR make changes to remove human error from the equation? Um, I think you, you pretty much got into that, that it really is just something that can't be, can't be done immediately. It has to just come with some practice, revision, trial and error. And that's just how it goes. The rules get analyzed and, and redone and redone. Um, so that one, I think probably we've, we've talked a lot about VAR, um, but to go to the next questions that were asked, um, Paul Daly, it looks like, wanted to know about immediate offside calls, which I know is one of the uh, changes that's been implemented since the use of video assistant refereeing. And I know, obviously, you could, you could see both sides with some people saying, well, you've got to let them go in case they score, and it is an offside, and then others saying, well, this player got clattered in a tackle and could have been injured in something that should have been easily flagged offside 10 seconds ago. So uh, just your thoughts on that maybe and, and where the balance lies. Yeah. I mean, there there's valid points on both sides. So neither side is right. Neither side's wrong. I think it's good competing interest where the scale is tipped in the favor of an assistant referee to delay their flag or, or raising the flag for offside is that going back to you know ifab's analysis of how do we do this is that the football world wants goals right um the worst thing is taking a goal away that's right um right we had a we actually and i'm trying to think uh, we had a couple of those today and i'm blinking right now because there was seven screens on my game but it was one of the europa games today where we had two offside calls that were negated for actually being valid goals um, and because of football, we have very little goals in this game. Um, each goal means so much that that's what tipped the scale to say, we prefer for the assistant referee to delay the flag. 
um, in a promising attacking phase, right? Sometimes I've seen it apply in other leagues or whatnot. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, for the love of God, like just raise the flag. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're going out, right? We're, we're not even going towards the goal. Like this isn't a promising attack, right? Um, and that's the key word, right? Is promising attack. Um, you know, which is, or a promising attack that is evident or clear to lead to a goal scoring opportunity. That that's the key. Not that just we're going forward, but it's a good goal scoring opportunity. Um, and so at least at the highest levels, and that's kind of always the hard part, you write a law and the law is going to be applied from all the way high from world cup champions league, Syria, premier league, all the way down to uh, I'm trying to think of when offside starts at the grassroots level, like let's say under 10, right? You 10 kids. How do you write a law that can be consistent throughout the entire time? And mind you, this is VAR protocol. So now let me eliminate every other league that doesn't have VAR. So now we're just talking about the VAR side of it. That level of assistant referees, and I wish I had the statistic, um, and I always, uh, I always beg Howard and Pro that they need to put that statistic out there more, is how accurate assistant referees actually are in calling offside. So like major league soccer for numerous years, it was like a 97, 98% accuracy rate on offside, which I'm like, like if you ever ran the line, let alone ran a line at a high level, like a, like a fast game, a U18 girls or boys game, let alone ran a high level in a semi-pro pro game, like God bless your soul, right? You literally have to be in line and somehow square to the field while sidestepping sprinting, which Corey Rockwell is one of the best at it. Like, I don't know how these people do it. I really don't. My knees are shot anyways. Like that would be just bad news bear. I would start sprinting before the ball was kicked because I can't keep up with the second last play like that. Um, but how good and how accurate they are is like my recommendation is funny. I was talking to Luis about this was I would recommend that we don't give as much, right? Sometimes we take a look and the person's off by two, three steps. And we're all like, oh, we all kind of knew that. Like, you know, and at, at high of a level, trust me, the first thing that assistant referee tells you as the referee is, you know, um, you know, offside, offside, you know, delaying flag, possible offside. Right. And as a referee, you know, that no matter what happens, we have an offside decision on the field, the offside decisions already been made. We're just waiting for this protocol. So, you know, unless it's super, super tight, like, I feel like we should just start flagging. Um, and the reasoning being is because how accurate they already are at that high of a level in the in any of these leagues that are using VAR that we're not going to be taking something away really. And ultimately also someone made a good point. We usually don't know it's an issue because before we used to flag, it used to stop play. We never knew the ball went in the back of the net. So people yeah. aren't angry in the first place. So we're kind of creating a little bit of chaos for ourselves by delaying the flag and then taking the ball out of the back of the net, which angers people to VAR. So there's something about protecting, you know, the system and the integrity that could, that I think we could probably raise the flag a little bit quicker um, on those that I think are pretty, pretty clear that are offside. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. I think that's an interesting, interesting thought there too, about the idea that if, if you only by letting the play go on, have you given people the chance to get mad about the goal that was taken away? Because before the striker stops running and throws up his hands and pretends he wasn't 10 yards off and then walks back <laughs> and the ball never ends up in the net. So that's um that's actually a that's a good point there where it is kind of in that sense a self-created issue um and i totally agree with you there too because i think we've all probably noted as much as i'm sure the occasional missed offside call can be annoying i'd always remarked at the linesman thinking especially because it's not just 
one player they have to watch. These these mm. forward lines could involve three, four, five attacking players sprinting forward at the same time with defensive players stepping up to try to offside trap them. And you've got the assistant ref who somehow is like tracking all of that movement. And still, I, I think, as, as you said, that just that crazy high success rate, I had always thought it is really impressive how good these linesmen are at just getting these very tight calls almost always correct. So um, I think that's definitely an answer most football fans will be happy to hear. Um, yeah, Alex, you just triggered something on uh, pros uh, YouTube. I think there's an actual video test for that where it shows oh. what the ARs look at and you can take the test and it shows like, and it's not even like a game. It's a practice mode. We did it in Salt Lake city where it had people transfer and you could determine whether or not someone was offside. It's really, it's really enlightening. It's probably like, pro's biggest youtube hit ever i have to look oh, at their analytics sometimes so i was like oh that's interesting we should do more of that stuff <laughs> no that's very interesting i mean that that's the kind of thing i think that definitely gives people a little more appreciation for okay maybe this isn't as easy as it looks in slow motion on my tv at home with a nice aerial view um so i guess the next question here's here's the the last fan question we're going to ask is from matt da silva um who is asking why don't we have more camera angles? I guess I guess we do have a fair number of camera angles as you've described, but I think there maybe also relating back to the offsides, is there upcoming tech in the works that you're aware of that could treat it like goal line technology where it's an instant decision? I mean, my my like sci-fi mind thought for a second, oh well, if you just had some kind of tracker on the player's bodies that could say this this uh, molecule of the player is offside. I don't know how far out we are from that, but uh, are you aware of anything in the works that could streamline that? Yeah, so your your sci-fi brain is not far off. So it's already been tested in uh, the FIFA Club uh, World Cup. Um, uh, I, I know they changed the terminology, but it's still FIFA Club World Cup to me. Um, the semi-automated technology um, that, that's been out there that they've experimented with a couple of tournaments. And I do truly, they haven't come out and said it yet. I do think that the amount of money, uh, uh, millions of dollars they've invested in the technology and the application and having it real life game, that it will be here for uh, for Qatar, for Qatar, however you want to say it, hmm. the Men's World Cup, um, that will be. And uh, it's good to hear like some insight from some colleagues because I haven't, I have, I've seen the system in play, but I've never been, I've never used it, right? I've seen examples and trials and whatnot, but I've never actually been behind uh, the, 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 um, the video monitor working with the video operator during a live game. But, you know, I do actually like, at first I was like, this is crazy. Like basically I call it limb technology to your point, literally it could track limbs and um, obviously there is uh, so many more cameras that have to be added into. I don't even know how many more cameras and it would literally have to be, all of the cameras will have to be calibrated to the players and know how to track their body angles without them wearing any kind of devices, but the technology being one synchronized. So it's all at the same time, which is super, super like uh, there's like three main components for VAR technology and semi-automated technology and synchron synchronization is one of them. Cause if I'm looking at one screen, it better be the exact same time frame as the other one. If not, I'll give me two different stories, but the semi-automated technology literally tracks limbs, body parts, fingers, toes, whatever you want to call it. And what it does and what it reduces the time is 
when you as a VAR, it's actually the assistant VAR, which is typically, I'm like pointing as if there's someone next to me, um, which is actually an assistant referee, usually a higher level assistant referee as well. In the beginning, it was another referee. We would laugh. We're like, we got two referees trying to figure out offside. Good luck. Um, but now it's assistant referees. Their job primarily is to set the line with the video operator. And it's when the ball is first hit is what marks the time that's where the person's body is, right? Um, obviously not when they receive it, yada, yada, you guys, you guys are really smart and your audience is smart. They know that, but to get to that, sometimes you have to go rock back and forth with the camera angles. Like you have to say, go two frames, go one frame back to really what we call set the line. And as soon as we do that and we get that in place and we get that set, then we make that determination. Was that person one in an offside position? If the answer is yes, then you go to a second question. Okay. They were in offside position. Did they interfere with play? Did they interfere with the opponent? You know, um, uh, you know, do they gain an unfair advantage? You know, there's three different kinds of offside. So that's where that second analysis goes. Where semi-automatic technology will go is basically immediately setting the line already for the referees and the assistant referees. So they don't have to do that work. All the, a all the uh, v assistant VAR would have to do is take a look and be like, yep, I confirm, and then we move forward. So there's no longer that communication. And I really do believe that will save about effortlessly, which sounds like nothing, except when you're watching a game or you're the VAR behind the booth. 20 to 30 seconds easily it would shave they've done so much you know uh testing of it already and they say by by default it already saves about 30 seconds on those reviews and you know uh, as soon as that avar confirms that that is the right touch point then you know the interpretation that second part goes uh into analysis and that will save time um and i know there are arson <laughs> was asking for some winger um was asking for the technology to go immediately like goal line technology to the assistant referee's watch. Yeah. And then the assistant referee watch tells the referee or it goes immediately to the referee. And then the referee just calls offside. And then I'm like, now we have no point for an assistant, be, or, uh, an assistant <laughs> referee. Not really joking. They add, they do more than just offside and in and yeah. out, but um, yeah, it, it, it'll be really fascinating. I do. I'm looking forward to that because that does save us time. And um, even though it's 20, 30 seconds in big TV world in world cup games. Um, you know, we always think about just the game, but from the TV side of the world, they're thinking about commercials. They're thinking about what does this get pushed and each commercials hundreds and thousands of dollars. So, you know, it's worth an investment for them and it kind of saves us the referees as well from a timing angle. So that will, it's not official. So I'm not saying I'm speaking on behalf of anyone, but more than likely we will see semi-automated technology for sure in the men's world cup this year. Yeah. I think that's, that certainly would probably be welcomed. I think by, by most people, because when you think about goal line tech, especially, I can only think of one example that being, I believe it was Aston Villa a season or two ago, who I think, do you guys remember? They, I believe they had goal line technology. The only time I've ever seen it mess up, um, the ball was technically over the line. And I think they actually <laughs> stayed in the premier league because of that. But aside from that, it's, it's entirely really uncontroversial. And I think now that everyone knows the ref has the, the watch or whatever, that'll, that'll just say over the line, not over the line. There's no more arguing. There are no more ghost goals, uh, Frank Lampard style. We, we, we know that one. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. I think definitely the, the theme I'm getting there is that when technology is given enough time to develop and people are given enough time to practice and get good with it, um, and people have a little patience, which is sometimes a lot to ask, the improvements will come. So that's encouraging news for sure. Patience. I love that word. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes in short supply, I think among uh, soccer fans worldwide, but 
Well, Alex, thanks for doing the fan segment. It was really good to see some of the questions come in. I want to talk about the future state a little bit. And you've told us about your story and why you went and studied to become a referee. But just high level, how does someone go about becoming a professional referee? What's kind of the steps? What's the education they need to obtain? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'll speak more towards the United States, although I could speak internationally. But at least here for the States wise is first you become a referee, right? And (laughs) Um, and that sounds really kind of, uh, I don't mean it patronizing, but sometimes it's difficult to figure out how the heck do I become a referee and each state is responsible for the certification of its referees in its state. So I'm actually the state referee administrator for Florida. So I'm responsible for the certification of all Florida soccer referees. And so if you're from Florida, you would go to FLSRC or FSR, you would, uh, log in, you'd pay, you take the module, you become a, what U.S. soccer calls a grassroots referee. Um, I can, you know, debate about whether I like that name or not, but that's a different <laughs> story. Um, but that's how you would start. And um, same thing, if you were in Massachusetts, if you were in Southern California, North California, you would basically just Google soccer referee and your state. And it should take you um, one, because I don't want to say we have a monopoly because that sounds really bad, but we're basically like, if you think of the, you know, a, uh, a US Olympic committee or whatever, we're grandfathered as the person, the organization responsible for that. So you become certified. Now everyone's like, awesome. I got my certification. How to become a pro referee next year. You don't. Um, <laughs> what you have to do, and it's kind of like anything like really. And when I explain this to people, it, it makes sense. Similar to as a player, how do I get to the national team? It's hmm. the same thing. And people don't realize that there's a path for referees. And, you know, your first couple of years, you're literally trying to figure out how do I point for a corner? How do I point for a goal kick? Then you figure that out in the first year, the first season. Oh, cool. Now I know how to point for a corner, how to point for a goal kick. And we think we know, but when you're on the line, you're like, oh, this is different. Right. Then we start talking about the nuances. And the crazy part about the referee world is for the most part, you cannot train to be a referee on your own. You need a game to do so. Right. And usually the game matters. <laughs> and like, right? Like you, like I, I always freak out, you know, I, I forgot who I was telling this in NCAA. It was like a D1 coach. And I was telling him like, he's, it was some recruiting thing. It was a tournament and I was there and he was there. And I was like, you do realize like the way we train is a game that it matters for you. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we can't replicate that. Even when we like get, like there's some on-field training stuff we do for FIFA, for pro, um, you know, that we'll be doing here in Florida where you, you, you bring in, you know, eight players, real players. And you're like, Hey guys, we're going to throw the ball into the penalty area. You guys pretend to foul each other. And then as the referees, we'll show like on body language, on posture, on how to deal with it. And the players never really mimic. No one's going to go yeah. in two foot studs into the other person's ankle. <laughs> and break them, right. Like, and then they all do these weird things. And you as a ref, you're like, I can't really like pretend as well. Like I'm laughing yeah. half the time. So like these games are what gets this experience and what people don't really even know is like, let me go go to champions league. For example, many of these, these, these men that are doing these games are in their like middle forties. Right. And so to even get to those, some, some of those levels, and I don't want to dishearten anyone because right. You could be a prodigy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you could just be really good at it in about three, four or five years. And this is not to be unheard of three, four, five years, you're just a really proficient athletic wise. People forget referees are athletes, um, especially at the pro levels. You have to be fitter than the athlete. Um, we have FIFA fitness tests, all that stuff. Then your application of the laws of the game. After you get a couple of those years in, you start in these pipelines. There's academies in certain places right now. Dallas mm-hmm. cup is going on and there's a bunch of academies from CONCACAF Academy to U.S. Soccer's Academy to pros Academy. And you 
our, our network is really small. So once you start identifying how you want, where you want to go and how many years, and many of us can tell you, it's not really a year thing. You can have a one really great season and then you can have a really bad season like a player. And then you got to get back on that horse and then figure it out. So, you know, I would say, you know, once you really get into the pipeline, once you start advancing and becoming a regional referee and start moving up the line, which means you're getting assessments, you're passing a fitness test, you've indicated that you, then you become a national referee, um, then pro can, you know, identify and see you and you don't even have to be a national referee to do some of these games. Um, right. We have champions league, USL champions, right. All you have to have is pass the men's FIFA fitness mm -hmm. test category one, and you could be a regional referee and do those games. So, and I keep telling people if who they really, if they really do want to get into the pros, um, we need you like, so for example, my state has a little shy of 3,500 referees in its heyday back in 2017, it used to have, uh, like 6,500 referees. Wow. I need okay. 10,000 referees today wow. to service the game in Florida. We are having plenty of games. I was at my daughter's tournament this past weekend and there was a U18 boys game that only had one assistant referee, one center. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. telling you, these people are paying silly money. I just saw a tournament on the East coast under 13 girls game center, $90. Wow. And I was like, dang, I'm going to get good. My, you know, my, I'm going to go back to refereeing. Like, you know, like, yeah. like I'm going to have my daughter play over there and go make $400. Today. <laughs> um, but you know, that's kind of how you get through it. You get through that path line, you get through that, uh, right. you know, and if you're in a state that isn't very strong for referee or very strong for soccer or football, you find ways and you connect like kind of like social media, you connect with other people and other people that are coming up and, you know, you can find your way to the higher levels much, much quicker, I think now than you could in the yeah. past. Because in the past, when I, and I say the past, not that long ago, 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of professional soccer yeah. and, um, or football. And there wasn't a lot, there wasn't, we didn't have contracts. We didn't have PSRA. We didn't have yeah. any of that stuff. You couldn't make it a career. And I would tell people five, six years ago, and eh, closer to seven, eight now, like, don't make this your career. Cause you can't. And now I'm like, Hey, you can actually make this a career now, which is really, really cool. And you can make over six figures doing this at the professional oh. level. So that, that's amazing. And I think that leads me to another question. And you've touched a little bit about it. I mean, being being a referee is a very tough job. And I don't want to say like, I'm a professional referee, but I had done some part of refereeing in intramurals back in college. And so I've played both sides of the coin. I've been a referee that's been abused and I've been the person abusing the referee. So I know exactly what it's like. Um, but how do we encourage more people to become referees? You, you said, you know, you need 10,000 referees what can be done to get people into it, excited about it to become one? Because it is a tough job. Yeah, it, it's a tough job. And I think, you know, the number one thing, even when I talk to a lot of ex-players, uh, funny enough that I used to referee all the time, and they were like, I don't envy you. That's the hardest yeah. job ever. I would never want to do it. And it's because I also think we focus on more of the negative in this world than we do on the positive. And, you know, maybe that's like a life outlook sometimes like, <laughs> you know, we, and it is, and don't get me wrong, we can be better. We have an issue in the referee world uh, from referee abuse and toxicity to, you know, toxic culture within the referee ecosystem. I a hundred percent acknowledge that, but what I think we never talk about is how much positive there is into this. And so, you know, um, from the colleagues, right. So, those who've played team sports, right? Like when I was done playing, you know, I'd been stuck with a, a, a team since I was 10, 11, 12, right? Always playing, had my team with me, colleagues, even though, trust me, 18 girls in a small bus for six hours, <laughs> I was about to kill all my friends because they love to sing songs and all that stuff. And I did not, I was not that person. Um, I wasn't the team player in that regard. But, you know, 
once that once that camaraderie is gone like how do you find that again mm-hmm. right and some people can find that in doing other like you said intramurals or playing a different sport or maybe in your world but for many of us who played football our whole lives like how do we get that back and refereeing gives you that ability because even though it's an individual sport because right it's about your performance it really isn't i always say even when we take fifa fitness tests i just administered one for for a group of referees the other day when we finish that last lap, I'm like, you guys finish it together. I'm like sitting there yelling at them and they never done it before. And back in the day, I used to do that. Everyone's like, why? I'm like, cause when you enter that field, there's only four of you against 22 players and all the fans and everyone. And I go, but when you step on that field, you guys have each other's back. You guys are going to battle together. And when you guys finish a fitness test, just like you do a field, you're all leaving together. That person who might be struggling on that 10th lap in the middle of Florida, when it's 90 degrees, even though it's only 10 AM, like you make sure you carry that person with you through your energy. And it comes back to that teamwork and that camaraderie, um, that ability to connect. I always tell people, right. When we do referee education sessions and no one's getting paid that weekend to do it. And I go, there's something wrong with all of us that we're here giving up an entire weekend, not getting paid to learn the laws of the game to become better to just keep getting yelled at. Like there's something wrong with us, but it's okay. There's a lot of us that are here that, that, that were messed up, but like, <laughs> it's just that energy level. And when you've gone to battle with someone, it's like sharing bread or like having a meal with someone, when you've gone to battle together, like there's stories and bonds. And I loved it. Cause having started at 10 years old, I was working with a lot of adults Right. Um, since I was between 10 to 15 years old, it was always a bunch of adults mentoring me and all the games that I had to learn with a bunch of different personalities, right? <laughs> a lot of interact with people from different walks of life, um, friends with a bunch of people that no way in hell would I be friends with them outside of us having a connection of refereeing. Like they, we, our lives would just either one, we didn't live geographically close or two, like we just don't share the same interest, but for refereeing. Um, so it kind of turns into this like really cool, like, uh, community that we have that we don't really talk much about that I'm soon going to be revealing a little bit more of that um, from the pro side of it, which is exciting. Um, But just to show all that positivity that comes from it. And obviously I'm a little bit more uh, into it because like my husband is a referee as well too. And so I met him when I was coming up as well. So, you know, for me, it was kind of a lifestyle, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and although everyone asks if our six-year-old's going to referee, I, you know, I really want her to be a professional golfer instead. There's a lot more money in it. And it's really <laughs> nice to hang out at the clubhouses, like no more porta potties at club at golf. <laughs> really, really nice all the time. But yeah, we just need to focus, I think more on the positive, especially yep. You know, I think someone put it really good for me as a player, even a professional player, right? And the statistics are out there. A lot of a lot of professional players, the majority peak when they're in their early 30s. Right. As a referee, you can go on until your middle yeah. to late 40s. And you know, even those, and we're talking about you know suburb athletes and those guys and girls who can just keep on going. Let's say your end of your career is probably late 30s, early 40s as a referee at a high level. So even though you might never have gotten on that pitch as a player um, and or you just have a longer career shelf life as a referee that you're able to stay at such a high level and play and be amongst it. Like the number of I tell people the number of games I've been a part of historic games from Abby Wambach beating me or Ham's record, like all of these things, like it's just it's just you have the best seat in the house. There's nothing to explain it. And when you walk into that tunnel and they don't play the FIFA anthem anymore, but back in the day, you used to walk into that tunnel. And you hear the players screaming like that, 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 and they'd be, you know, the energy and the echo. And you're like, I can't really interact with you guys, but like, this is freaking amazing. And you walk out and you pick up the ball and the camera's on you and your ESPN and you're leading out a team and you're knowing that you're putting on or you're, 
you're you're basically the director of that game to make sure that it flows and there's yeah. a passion and there's fun and i always like to keep it just right there at sizzling and everyone's like you're losing control like, no nah, no nah, nah, i'm good everyone loves it like sometimes you gotta let that foul go so everyone gets spicy again like that was kind of how i managed a game and it's just right. To be able to give that back to the game that's given has given so much to me um, since I started playing the game when I was like seven, eight years old. Like that's the things we don't talk about is just, it's a beautiful game from all angles. And yeah, there's ugliness in this game, but it's more beautiful than ugly. Very inspiring. Inspired me to get back to the gym to drop some pounds <laughs> so I can go try out to be a referee. And get no, again, no, but... <laughs> don't focus on vanity goals. Just train like an athlete. Eat like an athlete. Focus on the athlete mindset. Who cares about 20 pounds? Trust me, if you're there focusing you on hitting your sprints, that 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 stuff happens after. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, but that I stuff happens the after. There. Focus on the athleticism. Trust me, I did four sets of six and like my legs are shot because I feel like I'm back in preseason. And I'm like, my only goal today is to not stop during the six minute like, hard sprint. So, yeah, just train like an athlete. Don't worry about the vanity. No, very, very inspirational. I really appreciate that. Rahul, I'll pass it back to you for the final question, maybe wrapping us up here. Yeah, I, I, I've enjoyed this. I know I've been listening for the for the most part here, but I've enjoyed getting the insights and the background of, of some of the things. Like Jackie and Alex were saying, we sit at home, we watch the games, and, and we yell at the referees, we yell at our screens. Uh, in most cases, and in, in some of our past episodes, we've come on and said, the referee costs us the game, but understanding some of the things that you've shared with us here today, I think helps us appreciate the things that, you know, referees go through and it, it's not an easy job, like we've said. So uh, just looking, continuing looking forward, uh, we've spoken about technology coming in and, and doing more of the, 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 the work. Do we see that replacing referees and not that we, we want to advocate for that. Obviously we want to see, like you said, a team of four there, but do we see technology doing that in the future? Um, it's so funny because uh, some of us joke, especially some referees who don't like errors. And I'm like, why? They're, they're your floaties. They're your lifelines that keep you alive. Um, we're like with semi with VAR and semi-automated uh, offside and technology, would that eliminate the assistant referee? And those who, who say, yeah, it will, or who want it, I think they lose sight of the fact that a good assistant referee helps you keep control of the game because right. you in the center you don't have every single one of those angles. You can't cover every one of those angles. Like my favorite camera angle for a VAR slash even TV is give me the reverse camera angle behind the goal. Everyone's like, why? I'm like, cause there's no referee who will ever <laughs> supposed to be behind the goal. And that's where all, that's where you can see that play. Um, so, you know, removing any kind of referees from it, the answer, I think, I think not. I think they're going to be there because uh, you know, the assistant referee, yes, we're always focused on them. And I would say it's their TV time, right? When they have offside the flag, anytime their flags in the air, I call that TV time for an AR. Like <laughs> TV's always going on you. Hold it proud, hold it strong. Don't look like you have any doubt, like, oh crap, I missed this. Like seem confident because that's when the rest of the world cares about you at the moment. But like all of the um, non or non-physical cues and sometimes physical cues that none of you guys are aware of, or you may be aware of, but the camera's not on them. But like when you're on there, are so helpful for a referee to know, hey, I need to, hey, I'm managing the game in this style, right? So even when we talk about Daniel Servert, right, uh, with the Atletico Madrid game, right? It was the first half, he was eating his yellow cards, meaning he wasn't giving them out. And there was a couple of really hard challenges and I was getting texts like saying like, what's going on with this guy? And I'm like, he's trying to manage the game, but because we knew this was gonna be a hard game and we knew there was gonna be a lot of yellows right. in it. But I love the fact that knowing that he's going into that tunnel 
he's going to have his wire in his ear, right? Or not in his ear. They're going to have that conversation. Like, hey, I get it. You were taking some risks. But as an assistant referee here, et cetera, like, hey, when I tell you in second half, like, da-da-da, like, understand that the game is already a little bit beyond and we need to bring it back. And that's where your teammates on the side are helping you. We're like, hey, Chris, like, ah, you've let a little bit too many more, like, aerial challenges go, even though you know you hate calling those because that just means that person didn't get into the gym that day and they lost. Like, start calling those because from the outside looking in, it's not looking so great, right? Like, and that's where your teammates can help you adjust in the, in the real time. Um, they can see that foul. Like when the ball is cleared and you got the attacker and the defender just sitting there, just jawing at each other, but you have to be on the other side of the field because of the potential penalty and your AR stepping in saying, knock it off to those two. And they know there's a referee on that side. You can't replace that. So I don't think anyone's going around anytime soon. I think there might be a little bit of changes of responsibilities because of technology, but no one's leaving the field anytime soon. And then that's good to hear because you always like, even the way you're just describing it, it's when you watch it on TV, you watch it as a fan, you're more focused about the, the team you support, but the referees are a team too. And, and the way you've put it has been, has been very helpful to us. And uh, my one final question here is, and, and, and I don't know if you support a specific team in, in Europe. Uh, I don't think it's Chelsea, but for, for this question is who do you think is winning? Is that Leeds? Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. Who do you think is winning the FA Cup? <sighs> to be honest, I mean, obviously Leeds is not. We're just trying not to get relegated. So, and I, I just want to put it on the record. I'm a Leeds fan before Jesse Marsh took over. I know Jesse Marsh. Everyone's like, oh, you're an American. You like Leeds. I'm like, no. You know, like, I, I don't know if you can see, but Beals is on that side. Yeah, I see a good him. friend of mine is a huge Leeds fan. And I was there for the, uh, funny enough, my first premier in-person game was Leeds versus uh, Man United. That was incredible. Wow. And then Spurs, even though we got our tails whooped, I mean, it was still really, really <laughs> cool to be in the direct. It was still really cool to be in the director's box, box and watch a game uh, or two two games and, and just feel the energy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you get it, right, in the history, et cetera. But to go to your question, um, you know, I actually, I actually, people are counting Chelsea out and I'm not just saying, cause I'm on Chelsea's show, but I see you guys in the final and you want to know why? Because of uh, yesterday, right? Like, how do you guys come back and make that comeback? And, and, and everything that you guys are dealing with off the pitch and off, like, those are those things that make someone mentally tough that you can't replicate. So yes, there's the football that needs to be happened. But when we get into these scenarios in the playoffs, it really becomes about mental stamina. Um, and honestly, with everything that Chelsea's going through and has gone through and continues to go through and with your guys' manager and what they've been able to produce, like the, the mental strength there is incredible. So I actually see you guys going into the final and it's not just because I'm on the show, um, whether you guys win it or not, I'm still there <laughs> a little bit, but like, I think you guys have the mental strength to get into the final, um, just based off of, you know, what, what the boys are producing on the field, what they just produced in champions league. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big believer when I do March Madness here in the States for basketball, I just go based on the past five, six games going into that tournament, because there's something about momentum, right? right. Um, you got momentum going into, in, into that final run. Like that's going to give you more than, you know, what you did in the beginning of the season. So all I look for is momentum and you guys are having some pretty, really pretty good darn momentum. I mean, you got some top teams though, and at premier league. So I get it, but, um, you know, that mental grit is probably, I think what's going to carry you guys through. Yeah, we certainly hope so because like we said, Tuesday was, we put in the performance, we were there until the 80th minute and then it all fell apart. And we're actually recording a second episode here. Uh, we didn't want to keep you on and, and have you listen to us cry about, about Tuesday <laughs> night. Uh, but 
that that wraps it up. We're very uh, thankful for you joining us. Uh, it was a very insightful episode. I think I speak for the three of us and, and our listeners when, when they get to tune in. Uh, and you're welcome back at any point, uh, maybe when Leeds end up playing Chelsea in a couple of weeks here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch on Instagram, but I'll hand it over to Jackie and Alex for, for some parting thoughts before we, we close it out. Yeah, just really quickly, I think I've said it the entire time through. I think this has been eye-opening. It's been enlightening. It's been very easy to criticize referees and not give them the credit that's due. And I think today has been a 180 for me. I'll be a lot more patient. I'll be a lot more understanding. But I think it, it's, just yeah. knowledge, it's just knowledge that we've got today, which I think I really appreciate that. So thank you for sharing your thoughts today. Yeah, definitely. The, the, the insight is very helpful. And I, I will say, though, at a certain point, I feel like as good as referees get, you will always have people who are just upset <laughs> that their team loses or a decision goes against them. Because I was thinking, as you were mentioning, the various offside or the various handball rule changes rather throughout the years, I was just thinking, well, I, I can accept that the Marcus Alonso call was right. <laughs> certainly feels a little harsh, but then I'm looking back at the FA cup final last year. I think it was last year, right. With yeah. uh, Lester where they had a handball in the buildup and thinking, well, if that um, it, it was like a direct handball and on right before the assist. And I was thinking, okay, well now you're telling me if that was a year prior that would have been ruled out. So just, I, I think people will always find a way to be upset when their when their team loses or a decision goes against them. But it's good to know that theoretically, even if we we have to, we're seeing it through the lens of our teams. People are trying to keep the beautiful game beautiful. So uh, that's definitely some good insight and perspective there. Very cool. Thanks guys for having me. I truly appreciate it. It's always fun. I mean. Though the reason I stepped out into the TV media world because I have zero broadcasting journalism, whatever experience, is really to kind of bridge this gap. And uh, I, I know us as referees are not allowed to talk, so <laughs> I'm a little controversial. <laughs> but it's really to fill this gap because um, I think you can enjoy the game so much more when you truly know all the nuances of it and the beauty of it. And you're right. There's there's people who are just gonna be angry, and that's okay. This is their outlet. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think those for the majority of us who love this beautiful game around the world, that you know these conversations are tough. Conversations are some of the best conversations because we learn. I learn from you guys. You guys learn from me, and it makes me a better human and a better referee um, if I know what you guys are thinking as well. Oh, one more, uh, one more actually little mini wild card question I just thought of is I've yeah, seen people, bonus round mostly as a joke online. I've seen extra time. People, yeah, exactly. Extra time. I've seen people three frustrated. Minutes, three minutes. Yeah, I know it really is. Um, I, I've seen people frustrated that referees um, have made some decisions against them. And I've seen people, I think mostly jokingly saying, what if referees had to give a press conference manager style after the game? Do you think that could actually be a positive addition if they said look i was trying to manage the game in this way or <laughs> no you, you you seem to be very against so, that. i do and i'm not like i do think we can provide some type of an outlet and so uh for those uh certain leagues do it differently but here at least in pro and even in nwsl and in usl championship uh there's a pool reporter question so they have to get their questions within like 30 minutes at the end of the game and then the referees can either uh respond back with a voice memo or in writing and we're required to do it in writing <laughs> according to our, our things. But the only reason I say no to like that concept of the, uh, like a coach or a player press thing is because we're watching them right now. And how many times, and I'm part of the press, how many times are they looking for that 
for that, you know, that, that, uh, how, what do you call those? Those little the moments. Sound bite. Where, they're trying to get the, the sound, sound bite. bite. Yeah, where the they're, trying to, they're asking such a loaded question <laughs> yeah. that they're like, like Barcelona today. They're like, you know, if last year was like, you guys always like call it failures and da, 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 da. And, you know, he's yeah. like, no. And it's like, like, can you imagine us officials <laughs> up there? Like, getting just like all these loaded questions being like da, 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 da. and they're going to ask a question about what happened three years ago when you referee these teams and be like see you know they're corrupt and you're like oh my god no <laughs> so i don't see right now or anytime in the near future how you know with great power comes great responsibility but at the same time you know where we can put the referees where there's not i mean go figure we're talking about coaches etc are getting at it how many times are head coaches and players frustrated with these press conferences because they're being asked these loaded questions and sound bites and they're like it's toxic now imagine being the referee and being put up there like at that point we might as well just give you guys a stick and let us beat us to be honest so. <laughs> I, okay that, that can be kept in the realm of jokes for now then <laughs> all right well um I'm certainly this weekend going to be watching and thinking about the APP and KMI. I made a note here. Um, yeah, and, APP. Yeah, and <laughs> and if there's a, we usually throw up some stories on our Instagram when there's goals and stuff. So if there's a, a VR decision this weekend, I'm certain certainly going to be mentioning those terms uh, and educating our followers because that's that at the end of the day, that's what we all want to do. Uh, but that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify. Google Podcasts and Instagram, and on Twitter, it's at Premier Shells. And as always, send us your feedback, and we will be back with a new episode. And also follow Christina on Instagram. It's Christina.uncle. Uh, Christina, I got that right. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> okay. K-E-L, not C-L-E. I can't spell uncle normally. <laughs> <laughs> yep, U-N-K-E-L is, is the last name. But we will be back, and we're actually recording a second episode uh, right now. But for now, that's it. Thank you very much, and, and up the Chels.